Well, I just give God all the glory. Um, the I, I'm excited to have the opportunity to get to speak with you again. So uh, he was in Bible school all week, so I told him, I said, well, you know, I'll teach Sunday night for you and give you a break. And so uh, he gets to sit down and relax and and listen. Hallelujah. Anyway, God is good. Amen. And it's good to see all of you tonight. Hallelujah. Our theme was talking about uh, building kingdom relationships for eternity. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God tonight. Barely touch the kingdom of darkness because we're not, not here tonight to talk about His kingdom, but the kingdom of God. And I did a lot of research on some people who had divine revelations and heavenly visitations. And I love to talk about heaven. Amen. Amen. How many of you are going to heaven? Amen. How many of you don't know if you're going to heaven? Okay, if you don't know, after this message, we're going to have an altar call because we want you to come with us. Amen. We don't want to leave nobody behind. Let's pray real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the power of your word. We ask, Father, that you would be lifted up tonight, that your word would go forth, Father. In Jesus' name, I just give you praise for your precious revelations and your word for teaching us. We open our hearts to receive tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Let me see what time it is. Okay. Hallelujah. So we were talking about building the kingdom of God. A kingdom exists with the purpose of ruling through structure of power. And you see this in the old clips of Hitler especially. He ruled through an iron hand and he ruled with power. But every nation is set up with a dignitary or a president or a king, queen, whatever, and it's ruled through power. It's through thought, and you can see how different thought patterns influence in different countries. People think differently according to wherever they're from. And that affects the behaviors of the people. Amen? I remember when we were in Argentina, and it was under military rule, and people would respond to roughness. They would, because they were under that rule. And when we came to the United States, we were in such a culture shock. Because we had done this for 14 years around a people that were rough. And you could say what you needed to say, and we tried to do that here, and people got offended, and we didn't know what was going on. But it's the, wherever that rule and reign is, the behavior of those people, the laws and economy, all of this is in the structure of a kingdom. On earth, we gain only one thing permanently, and that's heaven. And I want to talk about heaven tonight. But before I do that, I just want to touch really quickly, and I hope that you will still love me after I talk about the kingdom of darkness just for a moment. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, where it talks about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, he was tempted for 40 days. And after the 40 days, then comes the devil to tempt him. Isn't it amazing that whenever the devil has tempts you, and you have not been in prayer and fasting, you usually fall into the temptation. But if you will pray and fast when the temptation comes, you will be able to withstand all that temptation. Um, He takes him to the high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, if you will bow down before me, all of these will be yours, is what the devil said. 
So we see through that passage of Scripture that the kingdom of darkness has a structure and a system also. And a lot of times in the church we protect ourselves from knowing anything about the kingdom of darkness. But we need not be ignorant concerning his devices. We need to learn how the kingdom of darkness rules and reigns so that we're not ignorant and fall into the traps and the deceptions of the enemy. The goal in the kingdom of darkness is to entice people to sin and to shed blood. To sin and to shed blood. If he can get you to sin then you just fall from grace. But He wants you to shed blood. He wants the people out there in the world to shed blood. And the reason why I'm saying that is so that you will understand that the bad things that are happening in the world, it's not the people that are doing them. They are enticed and influenced by a demonic force that is very much real and at work. And they are bloodthirsty. The devil is so bloodthirsty, if you could only imagine. And every time blood is shed, he gains power. So he entices bloodshed. Now this happens through murders. And you'll see uh, tragic murderings. My brother was one of those that fell under that uh, demonic force. Afterwards, when we went to trial, we discovered that he was full of demonic tattoos of the grim reaper and of skulls, and every tattoo had to do with death. And the reason why we found that out was because once he was sentenced, all of the markings have to be recorded, and we know in case they escape, we know them by their markings. The devil marks people. Rape. Rape is bloodshed. The devil loves it. Uh... Physical and sexual abuse, anything that sheds blood. Tattoos. Now, let me tell you something about tattoos. Bill Studdis came and taught on tattooing and uh, in our WLI, but many of you were not here. And he has a book out on tattooing. I encourage you to get that. But one thing about tattooing is it's under the influence of the ruler, you know, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this world, and those rulers determine the fads. And tattooing right now is a fad. And they're even in the Christian arena. They are tattooing as a testimony uh, to win people, whatever, I don't know. But anyway, tattooing is bloodletting. When you get a tattoo, you bleed. Tattoo is an old Egyptian art that was in the pagan religions. And they would tattoo themselves in the form of their gods. And their gods were images exactly like a demonic demon. And what's amazing about that is in that day and time, they didn't have phones or airplane or travel access. And if you go back and trace it, the old Egyptian way and then uh, other areas of the world, that they didn't get to chit-chat and say, hey, this would be cool if we did this. They were doing the same things. How did they know to do these things? It was demonically inspired because it's bloodletting. And piercings. The piercings are such a fad nowadays. But when you pierce the earlobe here, there, you don't really have any blood. But the higher you go up on the ear, the blood, the eyebrows, the nose, the tongue, the belly button, and who knows wherever else they're piercing, uh, <clears throat> it lets blood out. 
And it opens the door for something demonic to happen in your life. And I'm not telling you this for condemnation. You anoint that thing and you repent and renounce that thing in your life. And God will forgive you. We need to close the door to the devil. And another thing that the devil inspires is car accidents. And you see these car accidents where people are, there's blood, bloodshed. And that's influenced by a demon that attacks people. We had at one time like three or four car accidents in a week or so. But our people testified that they got out without a scratch. What is that? Tell me if the devil is not after us, but God, but God, but God is well able to protect those that are his. Amen. Hallelujah. In the church, you see him working through different areas. And the first area I want to touch on real quick is pride. Because a lot of times we don't see our pride. But the devil works through pride because pride was his fall. And I want to show you how the devil operates. If he can get you to operate in pride, you begin to act like him. And if you act like him, you displease God because God hates pride. And if he can get you to act like him, God's not happy with you and he's got a goal to accomplish. Do you see how this thing works? Uh, self-sufficiency. That's another thing that's prevalent in the church. This is how he works in the church. He comes in here to cause us to think that we're self-sufficient in ourselves. Or not attend church because I stayed home to pray. Or I stayed home and watched the teaching. And I didn't assemble with with the body of Christ. I'm self-sufficient. And that is a demon that tells people to do that. He doesn't care if you're still in the Word. As long as you can disobey God, He's happy. And we don't even see it as disobedience. Gossip. I won't even go there. You know the effects of gossip. It breaks relationships, and God is all about relationships. The kingdom of God is about relationships. So if he can cause people to gossip in the church, it will break relationships, and his goal can be accomplished. Division. Sex. Sex causes marital loss and breakups. It devastates children. Uh, It causes soul ties. It puts you in bondage and greed and power. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of these people that have had some heavenly experiences. One of these is a lady from Korea, and um, she said this. When she went to heaven, she said the Lord told her and spoke to her and said, the worst of sins in God's eyes is the sin of judging. I was surprised. I thought there was worse than that. But it's the sin of judging. Only God is judged. And when we decide to judge, we put ourselves in God's place. And we have no right to judge. It's not the iniquity that divides us as brothers and sisters, but it's that which makes us judge without a cause. Those we have not even spoken to or gotten to know or listened to. And we're guilty of this and we need to repent of this. Amen? It's a hard one to break, but it must be broken. Um, You know the Lord's Prayer. It says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it says, Thy kingdom come. We're talking about the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. And, you know, we took the Lord's Prayer as meaning we need to pray every day. But what that means is daily you need to pray this. This is what needs to be said daily in your life. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my life. 
Thy kingdom come in my life every day. Amen? Amen. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 20 through 24, And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Everywhere Jesus went, when he'd enter a city, he would try to find a synagogue. And he would, because he was sent to the Jews first. And so he's teaching in the synagogues, and this teaching means instructing, discipling, so that they can learn and assimilate and shape the will of the pupil. He's teaching in the synagogues, and he taught the Torah or the prophets. They would meet, and the Jews still do that today. They meet, and they do the study of the Torah. But as they're studying, they debate one another. And they disagree with one another. But they already know that it's okay to disagree. And nobody leaves angry. But our church today, if we disagree with one another, we leave the church because you didn't agree with my point of view. We need to be able to be open enough to disagree and yet come to an agreement because we do agree on one thing. Amen? The most important thing. And preaching. And preaching meant he went about heralding or proclaiming. And it says that when he taught, the Greek says he taught with a prophetic tinge. He proclaimed with a prophetic tinge, prophesying out there. Amen? And we know some uh, Samaritans and some this and some that, some Gentiles wanted to speak to him. He was drawing all manner of people. Amen? The gospel of the kingdom. And we know the gospel means the good news, but originally it meant a reward for good news. How many of you received the reward of good news? salvation and all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people and his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those that were possessed with devils and those that were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them and something amazing in this word uh, sickness and sickness where was that up in verse 23 the word sickness I'll look that up. And you know what the word sickness is? We've always thought that the word sickness was a noun. How many got your English grammar mind on? We always thought sickness was a noun, but sickness is not a noun. It is an adjective. When we say that somebody has cancer of the liver, the liver is the noun. The cancer is just describing something that's happening to that liver. Or arthritis in the joints. The joints is the noun. The arthritis is just a description of something that's happening to it. And it says he went about and he healed all sickness. He took away what action the devil was putting on that area of the body. Amen? You are the healed of the Lord. Every organ, every tissue of your body should function the way he created it to function. But the devil tries to throw something in there to give a different description of God's divine created part of your body. And so Jesus took action on the devil's description and he said, let's describe it this way. Uh Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And they were healed. In Luke 17, verses 20 to 21, uh, it says, And he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. And he answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here or lo, therefore, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. 
It does not come with an outward show. It said, but the kingdom of God is within you and among you. The kingdom of God was at that moment in their midst. Jesus was the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, and they did not realize it. But where it says it comes without observation, I do have an observation of the kingdom of God. And my observation is that when we do the works of Jesus, and someone is touched from God and receives something, then the kingdom of God has come upon that person. Jesus went about teaching, and that's why it's important to come to church, because how are you going to receive the teaching and the preaching of the Word unless you're here? Laying hands on those sick people. That's what we do here. We lay hands on this. If you're not here, how is that going to happen? And so that's what Jesus went about doing. Those things were part of the kingdom of God. Um, In um, chapter 19, if you flip right over, 19 verses um, 8 and 9 it says, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. I thought that was interesting because um, he, it says that Abraham was a son of, no, Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham, meaning that he had heard the teachings before. And if you'll go back in some of John's teaching, when he talked to some of the soldiers, he says, what must we do, you know, to be saved? He says, uh, do not uh, give false accusations and be content with your wages. Surely Zacchaeus had heard that, that taught too. And he says, I will restore to him fourfold because the law required that you restore the double. He restored double the double. And Jesus said unto them, him, this day salvation or the kingdom of God is come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. The kingdom of God comes through forgiveness and reconciliation, the kingdom of God. That's what we preach. Amen? True repentance. See, in verse 11, it says this, and, that, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. See, they thought Jesus was about to take the throne when he was on his way to be crucified. If he would have set up the kingdom in Jerusalem, then it would have had limitations to that nation, to that people. But his plan was bigger than that. He said, my plan is to put the kingdom of God within you. And wherever you go, I'm going to scatter you upon the face of the earth, and wherever you go, the kingdom of God will be there. There will be no limitations to my reign. Amen? And that's our job. That's what missionaries are doing. They're spreading the kingdom of God all over the earth. Amen? If you'll turn with me in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. I'm trying to get all this in. I hope I'm not going too fast. I feel like Pastor when he turns on the machine gun. Ba-da-da-da-da-da. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. I'm doing that. I've learned. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Okay. We know that after uh, his resurrection, you know, uh, Pentecost is fifty days. So within those fifty, that fifty-day gap, Jesus appeared forty days. 
And something interesting, when I teach a lot about dream interpretation and number symbols and different symbols, the number 40 is an interesting number because the number 40 ties in with uh, the people of Judah. And how many of you know that Jesus was to come through the lineage of David through Judah? So 40 is very significant. Jesus fasted 40 days when his temptation came. And now we see he appears for 40 days. Well, in the 40-day time that he was tempted, after that the devil came. And he knew that if we've got 50-day gap here, these disciples are going to be very vulnerable to the effects of the devil, the attacks of the devil. So I'm going to come for 40 days, and I'm going to begin to teach them about the kingdom of God so that we can set this thing up right. So they had this one-on-one question and answer time with Jesus. I think, wow, that must have been really neat. And they didn't have to multiply the breads and the fish. They didn't have to perform all these miracles. He had 40 days of undivided attention with his disciples and the people, the 120 that were in the upper room. And... um, uh, let's see. They still thought that the kingdom would be set up like others. In verse 6 it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked him after all this, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And in verse 8 it says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. That's the kingdom of God, to be scattered in your hometown, in your state, the uttermost part of the world, to bring the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, something interesting was, and we're fixing to talk about um, some of the heavenly visitations, but Jesus here is in his resurrected body. And Jesus looks similar but he has, he's spiritual and he's different. In his spiritual body, he's eating and drinking with them, and they're touching him. We're not going to be invisible. We're going to have a body, a resurrected body. They touched, Thomas touched the scars in his hand, and he was in a resurrected body. Amen? So we're going to, uh, when you, the reason why I say that is because when we're going to start touching on some of the visitations, you'll see there's a heavenly body, and you, you can taste and feel and, and enjoy. Amen? Um, in these, I, I looked at so many different references because it started out, I was reading a book about a lady that had some heavenly visitations. You know, when you read one book, you're thinking, huh, I don't know about all this. So I thought, well, inst- I don't want to be a doubter, Lord, but I haven't had this experience. So I am going to compare her experience to a whole bunch of people's experience. And so I compared it with a guy from Africa, a guy from New Zealand. How many of you know the guy from Africa and the guy from New Zealand didn't get to talk to each other? The Americans didn't get to talk to each other. Seven youths from Colombia, they didn't get to talk to the guy from New Zealand to compare notes. Did they? <laughs> and so this is what makes it really good is whenever we pull out all of their similarities, and they've all had this, these experiences, there's some, uh, a Chinese orphanage called the Children from Adulam in China, and these children had some heavenly visitations also. And I loved all their comparisons. Anyway, um, 
They all say this. They all say heaven is so real. That, that is like the best that they can express it. Our English is so limited. But heaven is so real. Hell is also so real. But we want to stay on, we want to stay on the good side. Amen. They all talk about being filled with this liquid love. The love that you feel in heaven is so undescribable that there's, there's no words to comprehend it. But everything works by love, and they feel this love that just pours on them. They're clothed with it. They all see angels. Some angels have two wings. Some angels have four wings. The angels have the wings, but the redeemed in heaven don't have wings. That's how you know the difference. Sorry, guys. No wings for you. (laughs) Angels also wear these white, seamless garments. And one is no more beautiful than the other. And there's no way to describe an angel's smile. Hmm. Doesn't that feel good? They welcome them with, through these huge open doors. I know you hear about the pearly gates. And some go through pearly gates. Some go through huge doors. There's a lot of entrances to heaven. It's not just one entrance. They have several different levels in heaven. It's built in different levels. The smallest level towards the top is the throne of God. And, you know, there's different places in, in the kingdom of heaven. They all see animals. Uh, they've seen deer, horses, lions, elephants, rabbits. And the little children from uh, China, they were playing with these friendly little pets that we don't have here on earth. But they were these cute little pets, and they would pass the little pet to one another. And you can only imagine little children handling little pets, how adorable that must have been. They said one of them climbed up on the lion and put his hand in the lion's mouth and was playing with the lion's mane. There's peace and harmony and love in heaven. And, and the lion will lay down with the lamb. Amen? They all see the tree of life. They all see the crystal river. And they said in this crystal river, it's as though the water has life in itself. And if you go under the water, you, you can breathe. And it's pure and crystal. And the water tastes so wonderful. And there's different color fish that swim in this river. And every fish has a different color. And even on one side, the fish may be one color, and on the other side, he may be another color. And the colors are so vibrant and beautiful. The Korean lady that had the experience, she and Jesus were at the river, and she reached down, and she picked up a fish, and the fish jumped out of her hand, and her and Jesus started laughing together. And Jesus picked up a fish, but he didn't jump out of his hand. There's another little guy that got in a boat. Him and Jesus were in the boat in the river. And as they were going down the river, the fish were just drawn and would follow the boat that Jesus was in. Even the fish are drawn to him. Amen? (laughs) Uh, They see precious stones, gold, emeralds, rubies, diamonds. The floor is gold. Uh, These seven Colombian youths that had went up to heaven together as a group. Can you imagine? What a field trip, huh? Uh, <laughs> they saw, the first place they went into, there was three books, and three large books. The first book was a Bible. There's so many accounts of people saying that there's a Bible in heaven. But this Bible was made of gold, the pages were made of gold, and the scripture that was written on the pages was made of gold. 
The second book was bigger than the Bible. And there was an angel writing in it of all the things that were happening on earth. Everything was recorded. It's like I said at the, at the meeting. Although they didn't record it, it was recorded. Amen? And the third one was even bigger. It was huge. And it was put on a big pillar. And uh, they went up to the book and they began to turn the pages. But to turn the pages, they had to take the page and walk with it to turn the pages. And it was the book of life. And they found their names written in the book of life. But in heaven, they could, they could pronounce their names, but back on earth, they couldn't even remember their names. You have a new name in heaven. And the second guy that, that testified, he actually got to ride one of the horses. They all talk about the wedding banquet table. And there's more than one wedding banquet table that is being prepared for the bride of Christ. And Jesus, one of them saw in advance what's going to happen when we sit at the banqueting table, and Jesus will sit at the tables. How do you know that Jesus can be at one, more than one place at the same time? Isn't that amazing? Even in heaven, He can be. So, we, you know, we can all have one-on-one time with Him. If He was just one, can you imagine even tonight, if we all had to take turns with Him, how long would that take? Although I know we have eternity but I don't want to wait uh, too long before I get my one-on-one time with him, you know. So we can all, he, can, he, can, he can be shared that way. Isn't that great? Um, and then they take him to this place with many, many children. And these were children that were aborted. Um, he said that he had had a girlfriend before he was a Christian that had gotten pregnant and uh aborted the baby, and he had carried that wound for several years. And Jesus showed him his daughter, and he got to hold her, and she called him Daddy. So God forgives abortion. I want you to know that tonight. They see uh, every time, there's a lot of accounts of people seeing the aborted babies in heaven, and every account says Jesus cries when he tells the story of the aborted children. They see flowers, and each petal is different, and it's different colors. And so this one little guy went up to it and started to pull on the flower, and it wouldn't come out the ground. He tugged and tugged and tugged, and the petals wouldn't even fall off. And Jesus said, here everything must be done in love. And so he went to the flower, and it surrendered to his love, and he was able to pick the flower. They talk about the beautiful doors. Everybody talks about these doors. They are so ornate, and they're full of precious stones encrusted in them. Then they entered this room, and in this room, it was full of busy people carrying shiny white cloth and spindles of golden thread and plates. And there was choirs singing and dancing and praising the king. Others were hurrying about to prepare the tables, the banqueting tables. They carried golden plates of food. Everything has its own exquisite and a unique flavor. And one, uh, Jesus went up to one of them. He had the seven youth from Columbia with him at this time. And he says, what is that cloth for? And the guy chuckled. And he says, you know what this is for. This is to make robes for the redeemed, the great bride. So that cloth is for you. Hallelujah. And then they go to this 
to another place with millions of children. And Jesus goes and he loves spoiling these children. He touches them. He kisses them on their forehead. He plays with them and tickles them. And he says, these were children that were aborted, but these are my children and I love them. He said, I sent them to them and they didn't want them, so they sent them back to me. So he says, they're my children. This girl that was testifying to this, she had had an abortion. And Jesus showed her her little boy and his back was to her. He was looking at the other kids playing. And an angel stood by him. And she went to him and the angel stopped her and told her to just listen. And so the little boy says, are my mommy and daddy coming here soon? And there was no unforgiveness in his voice. Just anticipation. So I want you to know if you've ever had an abortion or know of someone that has had an abortion, that God forgives you and your baby forgives you and you must forgive yourself. Because once you get to heaven, the baby, they forgive you. They're anticipating the fact that they're going to see you one day. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Another man testified that he had seen Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he described her as a beautiful woman. Her hair reached down to her waist. Another one saw Mary, and they saw her approach a window in heaven and look down at the earth, and she began to cry. And she said, No, no, don't worship me. I've done nothing. I've done nothing. Don't worship me. And Mary walks around like anybody else in heaven. She's not our Savior, amen? She was just a vessel that God used. And they've seen King David. They said he was tall and good-looking. That was good. Just, he, I bet he does look just like Pastor. And the only thing he wanted to do was dance and give God glory. I could imagine that, huh? If he did it on earth, how much more would he do it in heaven? Amen? Now, Jesus showed some of them this little city that is unoccupied because he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And it was a city that was prepared with mansions for different people. And on the front of the door with a gold plate is the name of that person who owns that mansion. And... The Korean lady said the same thing. She said she got to go inside her mansion. Jesus showed her her mansion. And she says her living room had ivory and red carpet and red velvet chairs. And Jesus sat in one of the chairs. And she made a comment how much she loved the color red. And like I said at the meeting, I said, I no, I don't have red in mine because... I could see how she would like that because a lot of your Asian people like the color red, you know. So that just tells me that God will decorate according to your taste, your heart's desire. It's going to be something that's going to overwhelm you because it's going to be about your place. Amen? Preparing a place for you. The little uh, children, the Chinese children, theirs was one big building and it had different rooms. But above each room was their name. And when they went in to their rooms, they had a gold table with a Bible. There's the Bible again. 
a vase, a pen, a book, a golden chair, a golden chest, a golden bed, a crown with jewels, a golden harp, and a trumpet. And these little kids would play the harp and the trumpet. They loved to do that. And the walls seem to be gold because of the reflection of the Bible on the walls. And Jesus told the little children that they had to wait till they died to come back and pick a flower for their vase. And another thing that was interesting uh, was we were talking about all the little children that were aborted or the little children that are in heaven, different categories of children. You have the aborted children that are together. You have other children that died from sickness or accidents or whatever. They're like in a category together. But one of the things that I read about hell is they have no account of children in hell. Isn't that interesting? Everybody that they talk about they see are all adults. There's no children in hell. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So if you've had any of them that have gone on to be with the Lord, they're in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. And our hope is that we get to see them again. Amen. Um, another little thing about the, the, the little Chinese children was if someone died before them, they had to fight the spirit of envy because they knew that they got to be in heaven and they had already experienced it. Can you imagine having to fight that? Somebody dies and we're all fighting with this. We don't want to be envious of them. Isn't that amazing? See, if we only knew, if we only knew, amen? Um, The columns of the house were plated with precious metals and stones were encrusted in them. Gold was transparent and shiny. So many accounts of this same thing. The gold is transparent. Um, They went to another place. And in this place... It was full of lots of containers, and in the containers were crystallized tears, and there were tears of the saints of repentance and tears of gratitude, not the complaining tears. They weren't there. I remember when Pastor preached on godly sorrow for over your sin, you know, those tears. I wonder whose container is fuller. (laughs) Who has the most crystallized tears in their container? They had another angel that took a golden bowl, and in this golden bowl it was full of tears. And he went into this, into this room of tears, and he put it on a table, and there was a book, and the book had blank pages. He opened the book up, and the pages were blank, and he would take one tear from the bowl and drop it on the blank page, and the tear would write the story. Isn't that amazing? Um, And then, like I told you, the throne room of God was near the top, near a castle. And different people describe God when going into the throne room. Most of them describe him as a bright light, like brighter than the sun. They say brighter than the sun because the sun gives off golden light. God's light is so bright, it's white. It's a white light. And they say that as they approach God, that you don't see his face but his hands will come out of the light or a foot will come out of the light. The little African guy, and his his English was a whole lot more limited, but he described it as he looked like a big moon and the hands would come out, which is the same thing, the white light of the moon. 
their description. We're so limited in our language to describe these things. But there was food on the tables. And one of them described grapes on the table, and the grapes were the size of oranges. And they had trees with fruit, and they could pick the fruit at any time. And the colors of the fruit were different, red, purple, yellow fruit. And she picked a purple one. And she ate the fruit, and she said it tasted so good that she literally just drooled all down her chin because the flavor was so wonderful. And um, they eat fish. Jesus even fixed fish for the Korean lady, grilled some fish for her. She says it was wonderful. I guess it was. He's a good cook. He says he appeared back to her on earth while she was having supper, and he chuckled at what she was eating. And he told her, he says, well, you can enjoy the, anything you want here on earth. He says, but this will not be in heaven, so you need to enjoy it while you're here. How I many you know some things won't be in heaven? Probably won't be no fried chicken. So y'all need to get it while the getting's good. Amen. But as I was noticing fruit and bread and fish, This is probably how we should be eating, wouldn't you think? Our heavenly food. The little Chinese orphans that went, they went as a group also. And, I mean, they were like six years old. These six-year-olds are given an account. I mean, they don't have that kind of lingo to describe. Uh, You know, they're not just making it up. At six years old, where do you hear this stuff? And these little kids were street beggars that had no parents, lived on the streets, got, you know, food however they could get it. And so they took these little kids in, I mean, and they had this heavenly visitation. There's just no way that you can doubt what they were seeing. But whenever they saw the fruit trees, they started picking the fruit, and they would put it in their pocket. And they said to one another, they said, we're going to bring it back for our pastor and his wife. Isn't that precious, honey, that they would think of their pastor and his wife. And so whenever they got back, from their visitation, uh, the person that wrote the book said, you could see on their faces they were hunting in their pockets for the fruit and they could not understand where it had gone. And the total confusion, they just knew that they knew that that fruit was there. They knew they put it there and it wasn't there. And so they, they were struggling with what happened to that fruit. <laughs> and they see Abraham, many accounts, and his hair is white. And it's as each hair is like a glass filament or diamond. And they said, we're all young in heaven. Even though Abraham is an elder, he looks young. And he said, Abraham welcomed us into the kingdom. The Korean lady said Abraham welcomed her into the kingdom. And the little children, Chinese children, said Abraham welcomed us into the kingdom. They can't all be wrong, can they? So I loved comparing all of these all of these things about heaven because I love to talk about heaven and it just makes you anticipate it more, doesn't it? And uh, where's let's see, where's the little buddy that was up here? Your little nephew. He has a black T-shirt on. Yeah, come here, buddy. Come here. Yeah, come see. Run, run, run. I know you're young and youthful. Run, run, run. I want you to see his T-shirt as he was worshiping. Jesus, what does it say right here in the front? Because of him, this is what, heaven knows my name. I thought this was just a confirmation of what we were speaking on tonight. 
And actually, in closing, I was going to use this scripture, and he has it on his T-shirt. So instead of turning to it, I'm going to read his shirt. How about that? It says, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. You wore just the right shirt. Hallelujah. Well, did you enjoy hearing a little bit about heaven? Amen. That is ours. Amen. Heaven is ours. Well, if there's someone here that has never asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior or would like to rededicate your life to the Lord, tonight I want to give the opportunity and open up the altar. Uh, Just come on up if you want Jesus. Jesus is worth it all. I tell you what. And you can have some of these heavenly experiences here on earth. He wants to flood your soul with peace, peace of mind. There is no sin that he is not willing to forgive. So if we just close our eyes just for a minute. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you move upon the hearts of your people and those that need to be drawn back to you, Father. You... You said you wish that none would perish. And so, Father, we just open the altar up to you tonight, to your people, Father God. Minister to them tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I just want to ask you, if you don't know Jesus, please come on up. We want to invite you to come on up. We want to pray with you. We don't want to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you so that tonight when you go to sleep, you will know without any doubt that if something would happen to you, you would go straight to heaven and you would experience all the things I talked about and more. Amen? Hallelujah. Anybody? Anybody want to say yes to Jesus? Let's just pray this prayer together. Say, Father, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. All of the ones I know about and all the ones I don't know that I've done. I'm sorry. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I believe You're the Son of God. You died for my sins. And on the third day, you rose again. And I invite you to be my Lord and to write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, Pastor, I'm I'm done. God bless you. Thank you.